Will you bow your heads in prayer with me? God, we thank you for this day. We ask that you, your word would speak to us. Open our eyes and our ears to you. In your name we pray, amen. Am I good? No, that, that's on now. I've never done this before. I have never done it. And if you have done this, I would really hope that you would raise your hand um, or talk to me after the service is done. Um, I've never done it. I've heard about it. Uh, I've seen it. Never done it. Have you ever been to a masquerade ball? Do you know what that is? People wear masks and go to a ball. Anybody? No one's done it? Wow, Linda, you should have done it. <laughs> oh, Victor. Victor has done it. All right. So we have one person who's done it. Um, so anyway, what a masquerade ball is this. Um, you wear a mask, you wear fancy clothes, um, and you go to a party and you have a good time, uh, is what I was told. I was kind of interested in knowing the origins behind it as to how it got started, uh, and I was told that the masquerade ball uh, got started around 14th or 15th century. Um, and actually, the reason these parties started is because of what happened about 100 years prior um, in Venice. Um, it was around 13th century. Uh, Venice started having a huge celebration, a huge carnival on Fat Tuesday. Do you all know what Fat Tuesday is? It's not Taco Tuesday, it's Fat Tuesday. It happens once a year. Uh, it is the day before Ash Wednesday. It's called Fat Tuesday. So everybody in town essentially dresses up in all kinds of crazy costumes uh, and comes to this uh, communal event. And this, the whole town is a big party. Um, and the reason why this all got started uh, is because... Um, in Europe during this period, uh, there were different classes that were there. Uh, there were, uh, you had the rich, uh, you had uh, the working poor, you had classes uh, that was considered royalty, um, and everybody was divided. And so during this time, if you were in a certain class, you only mingle with those individuals. So if you were part of the working poor, all you did was with the working poor. You never had an opportunity to hang out with anybody from a different uh, socioeconomic group or royalty or whatever it might be. And so what this did, uh, what these parties did, is it gave an opportunity for individuals from varied backgrounds to come together. During these events, your identity was hidden. And because your identity was given, you had given a new opportunity to be part of a bigger community. At the carnival in Venice, um, it didn't matter if you're royalty or if you're a peasant or a farmer. You had the opportunity to interact with each other. Men and women would be next to each other from different backgrounds. The only thing, the only thing that defines you on that day is the mask that you wear. The past is completely erased from their identity. And what you're wearing is your new identity. This new identity is something that, that gave people a sense of courage. It gave a sense of boldness to them. Uh, and what started out as a good idea 
of all different backgrounds coming together and mingling together, soon things started to fall apart. Because this masquerade balls, these carnivals, during this time, people started to exhibit risky behavior. We've come to find out that the rich and the poor, you didn't know who was who, and you indulged yourself in risky behavior because you hid behind a mask. The mask hid your identity. And if I may so boldly say that during these events, we're not Christian, not glorifying to God at all. Once you wore that mask, it gave you a sense of new identity. You felt like a new person, that you can do whatever you want to do without any worry to protect yourself, without any worry of consequences, because tomorrow you're going to go back to your old life and no one will blame you. The mask gave them a sense of false identity. It also gave them a false sense of security. Mask, it's a tricky thing. I'm wondering this morning what masks we wear in our communal living. Each one of us who worships at Mount Hope Church comes from varied backgrounds and cultures. What masks do we wear? Here, of course, I'm not speaking of the masks that is visible, but rather the ones that you can't see. What does our mask look like in the context of Christian living? What does it look like? I want you to hold on to that question. I want you to kind of hold on to that question that I'm asking you. What does wearing a mask look like in Christian living? I want you to hold that as I want to share with you a little bit about the Roman church. Uh, the Roman church um, was, um, was also part of, of varied backgrounds. People from various different backgrounds uh, came together to form this church called the Roman church. Um, and um, I, sometimes when we read these scriptures, uh, we have this sense that the early church had it all together, that they were the ones who had all the right answers. And all of a sudden, our church is a little bit more not quite functional, and that church was really good. I, I don't think that is accurate uh, at all, because Paul was dealing with a lot of challenges in the Roman church as well. And I want to share with you a couple of challenges that Paul was dealing with. One of the uh, first one is there was a big divide between the Jews and the Gentiles. So the Jews are the ones that belong to the line of Abraham. And Gentiles is anybody who's not part of that race. And there was a, there's these, a lot of tension going on between these two groups. These two groups were called to live as Christians, but one felt like they needed to wear the mask that they were the Jews, that they were the true heirs of salvation. They felt like Jesus came and gave them salvation, and that was supposed to be just for them. And they were wearing that mask. And then there were the others who were there. The Romans, the Greeks, the Africans, the Samaritans, those who were economically poor and slaves. They were all there. And they were, Paul is trying to tell them that we are all one in Christ. That their current identity that they are wearing, Paul actually uses the imagery of being grafted into God's family. That these Gentiles, the ones who did not belong to the Jewish people, 
we were all grafted into God's plan of salvation. And this plan of salvation was given to all who believe. To everyone who believes in Jesus. Salvation and grace is given. The blessings of Jesus are for all, not some. That was something that was happening. There were other two things that were happening in the Roman church um, that was Paul was addressing it. And he kind of talks about them in very harsh terms. This comes from Romans chapter 14. One of the things that was happening is there were two factions within the church. One was saying that they were true Christians. They called themselves the weak Christians. And they only ate vegetarian meals. They felt like their true devotion to Jesus can only be lived out by saying no to eating meat. And Paul talks about that. They felt like wearing that mask, that identity, I am giving up meat, makes me a better Christian. You all eat whatever you want and you call yourselves Christians is what they were saying. And Paul addresses that. And then there was another controversy that surrounded the church. This church, uh, the Jewish, um, <clears throat> when we read the Jewish scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, we read in the first story uh, of creation that Sabbath was a holy day. It was set apart for a time of worship and reflection. And that was truly what the Jewish people were doing. But then as Christianity began to grow, people started to worshiping not on a Saturday like the Jews did, but rather they worshiped on the first day of the week, that is Sunday. And they worshiped there. And some were saying, hey, we have the right thing here. We are worshiping on the right day. You're wearing this mask of worshiping on the right day. And Paul talks to them about it. He says, why do you judge one another? There is no point judging one another. So these are some of the controversies that are of the Roman church. Reading these three controversies today doesn't seem that big. For heaven's sake, it, what does it matter which day you worship God? Whether it be a Sunday or a Saturday, right? We're a little far removed. There was a lot more emotion during this fight. What does it mean for us to be a Jew and a Christian and a Gentile and a Christian as well? What does it mean for what food we are called to eat? These were big issues. These were big issues that the church was facing and Paul was addressing them. Remember earlier in my conversation about masks, this morning I wanted us to consider um, what wearing a mask does to us. To our psyche. Wearing a mask gives us a sense of false security, a false identity. It gives us courage to make choices that might not be good for us to do. Some in the Roman church wore a mask that they felt superior to other Christians because of their Jewish heritage. Some felt that they were more pious because they willingly gave up eating meat. They wore that mask. Which is true, worshiping Christians on a Sunday or on a Sabbath day. Earlier I asked you, what does it mean for us as Christians to wear a mask in the context of Christian community? 
The scripture that we read this morning goes this way. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Hold on to outdo one another in showing honor. Let love be genuine. Verse 9, let love be genuine. Another synonym for genuine is let love be authentic. Let love be true. Let love be sincere. See, Paul wrote the book of Romans uh, in Greek. Uh, and uh, Paul uses a different word here. Um, it, is, it reads a little differently. This is, what Paul, this is the word that Paul used. Paul used this word. It means, if I were translating from Greek, it means, let your love be without a mask. Paul urges the church to love, let your love be without a mask. That we are true, authentic self, that we love one another without a mask. Our true authentic self is showing love to those who are not, who are, to those who are around us. Paul is not calling us to hide behind and pretend to be something. Friends, we are called to take off our mask and love our neighbor. This is the Christian way of doing things. You may not know, the, uh, you may want to know what the Greek word for mask is. And some translations put it this way. Let your love must be free of hypocrisy. Detest what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor. This is how the New American Standard Bible translates the word, verse 9. Love must be free of hypocrisy. The Greek word for without a mask means anuporkritos. Free from hypocrisy. The problem with this morning's scripture is this command that we read is just a start. As you read more of the scripture, it just becomes difficult and difficult and difficult as to what it means for us to be Christians. We need to start loving each other and that love needs to be without a mask. That love needs to be genuine. And we are called to hold on to what is good. Friends, this morning, part of our human nature that we dwell on is things that are not good. We hold on to that which is not good. There's a lot of wrong in the world. I'm not negating that. But we tend to hang on to that which is not good. And Paul is calling us to cling to that which is good. We thought that was difficult. Here's another thing that Paul is asking us to do. Outdo one another in showing honor. We live in a culture where being hostile to the other is taken as normal. When we don't agree with the other, we tend to tear them down. But as Christians living in a community, we need to be the ones outdoing each other in showing honor. That is speaking well of the other person. What do our conversations 
sound like about the other? Do they sound honorable? Friends, as Christian followers who are called to love without a mask, we are called to do that which is good. We are called to outdo one another in honor. We are called to cling to that which is good. This is how communal living is supposed to be. After laying out all these principles, Paul repeats them, and he taught, tells us as to how we need to care for those who, are, who we are in conflict with. Paul here is almost referencing what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them. Do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be arrogant, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Paul is speaking about how we live in a community here. Remember, the Roman church uh, was experiencing hostility from the Roman emperors. And they were going through a really difficult time. And Paul is encouraging the church and telling them how we need to live. And after discussing this communal living, Paul tries to talk about how we need to address conflict. If possible, again reading from verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Never take your revenge. Beloved, leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil by evil. But overcome evil with good. Even as we are talking about conflict, I just want to affirm the words that Pastor Joanne spoke a few weeks ago about how we need to address conflict. Her core message was about forgiveness and hurt. She said, when we get hurt, and forgiveness is a process that we go through. Yes, we are called to forgive those who are around us, but we are not called to be doormats. And I want to affirm that, and I want to hold that to be true. And actually, when you think about it, there's some spiritual backing to what Pastor Joanne said. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Pastor Joanne was saying, wish them well. Wish them well for the ones that hurt you. Forgive them and wish them well. It's a process. It takes a while, but wish them well. And friends, this morning... The scripture encourages us to wish those who have hurt as well. Someone's thirsty, give them a drink. Wish them well. Giving a glass of water wishes them well. Ultimately, we are called this morning to show the grace that God has shown us. We come to this table that we come regularly that reminds us of the grace that has been given by our God, the God that we worship, and we are called to be the same vessels that disperse of that grace, that which we have received. This morning, I want to invite Donna. I didn't talk to her before. Um, if she could come up for a minute <laughs> uh, and play some music for us, because I want to give you an assignment. There's so much in this scripture that, that was read I want to pass out uh, scriptures to you. Um, 
There are two translations that are there. Um, Pat and Joanne, if you can just... Oh, you have someone? All right, all right you're all... Great. <laughs> um, there are two... Uh, there are these papers that are, being, that, that are going to be given to you. Um, and we're gonna, I'm going to ask you uh, to read these scriptures. Um, there, are pen, uh, there are pencils in the front of each of the pew. If you like something, I would like you to take the pencil and underline it. If something is there that is challenging for you, I want you to take a pencil and I want you to underline that as well. I want to spend about three to four minutes um, as this happens. I want you to read. There are two different translations. Uh, one is called the New American Standard Bible. And the other is called the NRSV. It's called the New Revised Standard Bible. These are the two different translations. Maybe one can speak to you where the other didn't. So take some time to read it. Underline that which you like. Underline that which is challenging for you. <laughs> 